If you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter number one. Mark chapter number one. If you're a guest here, thank you for joining us. We don't take for granted your presence. In our worship service, we hope from the bottom of our hearts that God has already blessed you and that his spirit has already bore witness with your spirit. And I hope that the word of God preached today will be a challenge and a help in your life as well. Last Sunday morning, we started a brand new series Um, that I'm titling Finding and Following Jesus. Every chapter and every verse through the book of Mark. And we talked about the first 20 verses and what it means to follow Jesus. The why and the how. Why do we follow Jesus? Well, because he's worth following. How do we follow him? We repent and we believe. We follow and we fish. And now we're going to pick up in verse 21 and go through the end of the chapter, which is verse 45. If you're ready for studying of the Bible today, say amen. amen. On January the 20th, 1961, John F. Kennedy took the oath of office to become the nation's 35th president. The day that he swore that was, was took that oath, rather, he, he delivered what has become a landmark address and most consider the most memorable and enduring section of his speech to be towards the end of his speech. And he challenged every American to return to a place of service and sacrifice. And he said these words, And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Kennedy was addressing a nationwide problem that I still think continues to this day in the United States of America as good as it is. And it's called consumerism. The citizens of America, as good as we might be at times, have largely become more about what we can get than what we can give. And it doesn't help that everything in America these days seems to cater to our desire to have it our way, in our time, and at our price. From Burger King's slogan, have it your way, to Amazon Prime when you can buy anything online and have it at your front door within hours, it seems like, to the ability to buy a MyPillow and test it out for 60 days, and if you don't like it, get your money back. Everything has become about the customer getting what they want, when they want it, how they want it. And sadly, this consumer mentality has slipped into Christianity as well. And so many followers of Christ, because they misunderstand what Jesus is all about, they follow him to get, not to give. So they treat God like some cosmic Santa Claus, like some genie in a bottle, like some heavenly vending machine where they can get whatever they want at a low cost to them. And Mark is going to show us in this text that being a true follower of Christ is not about being a consumer. It's about being a contributor. It's not about living your life to get. It's about living your life to give. And so we begin with the first phrase of Mark 1 and verse 21, where Mark writes, and they went into Capernaum. Now I stress that pronoun they Because it wasn't just Jesus that went into Capernaum. It was he and his disciples, at least the four men that we studied um, last Sunday. So it could have been Andrew, Peter, James, and John. 
So Jesus took them on their first ministry internship. Maybe their first day of hands-on training. It's so Jesus said, come after me, and he meant it. He said, watch me and learn. Follow me and learn. I'm going to show you what I came to earth to do. And immediately he began to fulfill his mission of preaching the gospel because he went into a synagogue and began to teach. Look at verse 21. And straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. So Jesus found his way on a Saturday in a synagogue in a place called Capernaum. They would set up a synagogue in a specific town whenever they would have seven Jewish men in that town. Then they would form a synagogue. And oftentimes a traveling rabbi or scribe would come into those synagogues and teach the Bible. And most of the time when rabbis would finish their portion of teaching from the word of God, they would open the floor for others to elaborate on what they taught. And most scholars agree that this is when Jesus stood up and began to teach his gospel. And almost immediately after he began teaching, the text says the people noticed there was something different about his words compared to the local scribes of their day. The verse says they were astonished at his doctrine. And here's why. His doctrine was powerful. His doctrine carried a certain weight to it, a punch to it, an authority to it. And so it makes me question, what was so special about his doctrine that it had authority? Well, I believe his doctrine was the gospel. I believe it was the pure gospel. Remember what gospel means as we studied last week? It was good news. And these people in the synagogue who were taught by scribes and Pharisees and local religious leaders, they weren't used to hearing the gospel as good news. The gospel they heard every Saturday seemed to be polluted as scribes and Pharisees and local rabbis would add their two cents to the gospel. And they would add silly rules and silly regulations that you have to live up to in order to be pleasing to the God in heaven. And it was more oppressive to the hearer than liberating to the hearer. So when Jesus stood before them and he gave a simple message of repentance and belief in the Father in order to have eternal life, it's like it was a breath of fresh air in the synagogue. It was like, wow, this isn't just simple, this is powerful. This has a punch to it. They were impressed. But there was at least one spectator in the audience that wasn't impressed. He was angered by Jesus' message. It was an unclean spirit living inside of a demon-possessed man. Look at verse 23. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Now you talk about distracting a preacher. I put up with my fair amount of distractions in this place. Crying babies, cell phones going off, hearing aids ringing. People trying to come to the platform and prophesy. Thank God for our security team. But I've never put up with this. I've never had somebody stand up who was demon-possessed. Now, I thought just by looking at some people, they were demon-possessed while I was preaching. That's just called the stink eye, though. That's not demon-possessed. But there was this guy that stood up. And it's amazing to me that he didn't make a scene. And the demon inside of him wasn't aroused by the rabbi's message. Nor from the scribe's message. Just from Jesus' message. You know why? Because there was a difference in the message. 
Jesus was preaching a pure gospel and Satan will do whatever he can to distract people from hearing the pure gospel. And it's also interesting to me that the unclean spirit knew Jesus' name. Knew his hometown and even acknowledged his deity as he called Jesus the Holy One of God. Now listen, this would have been a powerful teaching moment for the disciples who were interning with Jesus this day. A light bulb should have turned on for them. They should have learned in this moment who Jesus was and what he was about, even if a demon was the teacher. They should have put together in their minds that following Jesus meant preaching the gospel, fishing for men. And they should have learned that engaging in this mission was dangerous. It invoked opposition, even demonic opposition. But man, they were slow to getting it. Look how Jesus responded to the unclean spirit in verse 25. And Jesus rebuked him saying, hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. Can you picture the scene? A face off between the Holy One of God and the devil himself. A match between two authorities, the authority of righteousness and the authority of evil. And thankfully, Jesus won. The unclean spirit didn't come out quietly, didn't come out smoothly. He came out loudly and violently. But nonetheless, Jesus proved his authority over Satan And his authority over demons who would regularly oppose the preaching of the gospel all through the gospel of Mark. Now here's what Jesus is doing. He is clearly showing his disciples. And those in the synagogue, don't miss this. He's showing them his mission. He's showing them what he's all about and the seriousness of it. He demonstrated that he came to this earth to meet the spiritual needs of people. To make disciples of all men, to make disciples of all women, religious and not religious, overly sinful and somewhat righteous. He wanted to make followers of men through preaching of the gospel. And he showed him this day in the synagogue that no matter where he went, if he preached the pure and unadulterated gospel, that it would be met with much opposition. It would be no walk in the park. But the crowd that day, they didn't get it. Now follow this. The crowds recognized that there was something different about this man. They recognized, wow, he's a good teacher. There's something obviously different. He has an authority over demons, but they still didn't understand what he was all about. And that's shown in how they responded and engaged in his mission. Look at verse number 27. And they were all amazed in so much that they questioned among themselves, saying, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. So you know how they responded? They made Jesus popular. They just started talking about it. There wasn't even Facebook and word spread fast. Have you heard? This man's name, it was Jesus. We didn't know that until a demon said something about it. But boy, you should have heard his message. You could hear a pin drop. Every word was gold. It was unlike anything we've ever heard on a Saturday before. It was amazing. And this guy got up and he was crazy. And he was demon possessed. And Jesus tore the unclean spirit out of his body. And the unclean spirit went away violently. And it was creepy and awesome all at the same time. And then that person would go tell somebody. And that person would go tell somebody. In a matter of hours, maybe days, Jesus was the most popular man in Galilee. Now there's nothing wrong with being excited about watching Jesus do such a thing and hearing Jesus preach such a message. But there was something the crowds were missing. You got to get this. Their excitement was all about what Jesus did for them. 
and not what they could get or in what they could get from him, not what they could give. They, they made him famous all throughout Galilee, not because of his mission to meet the spiritual needs of people through preaching the gospel, but because of how impressed they were with his ability to meet their physical needs. And Mark makes much of this further down in the text. Look at verse 32. And that even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and then that were possessed with devils and all the city were gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. So they were so excited. They brought people to Jesus, but it wasn't so that he could preach to them the gospel to have their spiritual needs met. It was so he could touch their bodies and meet their physical needs. They were most excited about what they could get from Jesus. They, they followed him from town to town because of what Jesus could do for them. And did you notice Mark's detail at the end of verse 34? He commanded the demons to not talk. He commanded the demons to not speak. You know why? Jesus, Jesus knew that the demons knew who he was. And he didn't want people to know who he was because Jesus could sense that these people were only in it for what they could get from him. And he didn't want to be known only as the one who could meet physical needs. He came for a greater purpose than a miracle show. He came to save souls. He didn't want to get distracted with this. And this is proven further in verse 40 with a leper that wants to be healed. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken immediately, the leper, leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. And he straightly, straightly charged him and forthwith sent him away and saith unto him, watch this. See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto him. So here comes a leper. Jesus, I heard you can make me whole. Okay, I will. He did. And he said, I don't want you to say a word to anybody. Why did Jesus say that? Here's why. Because Jesus wasn't interested in drawing any more crowds that were in it for the miracles. He wasn't interested in people coming to him only to have their physical needs satisfied. Now let me call a time out real quick and make something real clear. That Jesus was all about meeting people's physical needs. He did it all the way through the Gospels. He just wasn't satisfied with doing that alone. His benevolence was always a means to an end, and the end was always evangelism. He touched people's bodies in hopes that they would have the faith to let him touch their hearts. But clearly these people weren't understanding his mission to get to their spiritual needs. Because look what the leprous man did. But he went out and began to publish it much, and to blaze abroad the matter. And so much that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. He did just the opposite of what Jesus told him to do. Granted, he was excited about having new life, physical healing, but maybe that's the problem, church. Maybe he was just excited about his physical needs being met. Maybe he was just all about what he could get because that's what happens when we don't understand what following Jesus is really about. As I look at that, you would think, this has just got to be a problem with the crowd, the multitude, the customers, right? The unbelievers. But then I examine the disciples in this text. The ones Jesus was really trying to teach what he was all about. And they weren't getting it either. Look at verse 29. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they, this is the disciples, entered into the house of Simon and Andrew 
with James and John. And Simon's wife's mother, his mother-in-law, lay sick of a fever. And anon, or shortly, or quickly, they tell him of her. Now look up here. The disciples' first reaction to seeing Jesus' authority in preaching the gospel and calling out a demon wasn't to go find another synagogue where Jesus could preach the gospel. Rather, they wanted to take him straight to their friend's house who was sick so that they could have her needs met. This problem continued in verse 35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out, Jesus did, departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And Simon, that's a disciple, they were with him, followed, him, followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, all men seek for thee. So Jesus apparently got up real early. Went to pray and talked to his father. Simon was the first disciple to wake up. Looked over, saw Jesus wasn't in the house. Heard people on the outside porch waiting for him to meet their needs. Panicked and led a search party to find Jesus. And when he found Jesus, he said, Jesus, all men seek for thee. They're, hey, this is, there's no time for this spiritual prayer stuff. It's time for the miracle show. People are knocking down our doors and you're out praying. We've got to meet their needs. And so Jesus subtly tries to teach them what he's all about in verse 38. And he said unto them, let us go into the next towns that I may, next word, preach there also. For therefore came I forth. Jesus didn't say, guys, let's go into the next town and see how many sick people we can find and raise them up. He didn't say, let's go to the next town and see how many hungry people we can miraculously provide a meal for. He wasn't against that, but he wanted to bring them back to the focus. He said, let's go to the next town and preach. We got good news to tell. I will touch a physical body, but most of all, I want to change a heart. Unfortunately, even the disciples who had forsaken all and followed Jesus, left their careers to follow him, were not understanding what his mission really was. So they were caught up. In following to get and not to give. And here's what I found. We can do the same exact thing. If we're not careful, we can misunderstand what following Jesus is all about. And thus follow him with this posture here. To give. I'll use the analogy of a vending machine. To help us see that our tendency is just this. How many remember vending machines look like that? The glory days. I love vending machines. I love taking my son to vending machines. And I usually find a vending machine when I'm staying at a hotel somewhere. And they don't have them very, very much anymore. But back in the day, I'd go to a vending machine. You know I like it? Because there's a variety of choices. It just doesn't serve one thing. And it's a very low cost to me. And so I get to be the customer. If I want a Snickers bar, I'll push A1 and down falls a Snickers bar. If I want a can of Dr. Pepper... Because you should, probably shouldn't drink pop other than Dr. Pepper. Then I'll, I'll push B1 and get a can of Dr. Pepper. If I want a bag of Cheetos because, you know, a real follower of Christ never outgrows Cheetos. <laughs> then I'll click C1 and get some Cheetos. And I only have to put in a few coins to do it. I found that followers of Jesus Christ treat him the same way sometimes. What can I get from Jesus today? This week, I'll take some wealth and prosperity. A1. Give me a promotion. Push the button. Give me a salary raise. 
push the button. Give me another stimulus check. <laughs> Don't lie. Some of y'all already got that budgeted for next month. <laughs> and you're going to claim it was Jesus blessing you. Lord help you. And me. Because I got it in my budget too. Amen. Amen. God will get 10%. Next week rolls around. What can I get from Jesus? Oh, I know what I want. I know what I want. I want an easy week. I want comfort. So hit B1. I want ease in my parenting. No kid problems. I want ease at work. No work problems. I want ease in finances. No financial problems. I don't want my car to do anything bad. I just want an easy week for once. Give that to me, Jesus. Next week rolls around. What am I going to get from Jesus? Oh, I know. C1. I want to bail out. Oh, I, the same situation you bailed me out last week that I got myself into. I got myself into it again, Jesus. Why don't you bail me out again, would you? I know I was irresponsible. I know I was impulsive. I know I was angry. I know I was stupid. But I need you to bail me out because you are a God of grace, right? Give me some C1. Give me some C1. And it's all about taking. All about getting, not about giving. We think that because we put in a few Jesus coins that we can demand from him whatever we want at a very low cost to us. And the truth is, to some of us, Jesus is only a vending machine. Can I tell you what he really is? A savior. Amen. He's a savior that didn't come to give your belly a Snickers bar. He come to save your soul from your sin. Oh, he'll touch your body. He still heals. And he'll mend relationships. He still steps in and intervenes with his grace. He does all these miraculous things to meet our physical needs. But he's most interested in changing your heart. He's most interested in meeting your spiritual needs. And when followers of God view him as a savior and not as a vending machine, it's amazing how it affects the way they follow Jesus. They aren't takers. They're givers. And that's proven in a tiny detail in our story. In verse number 30, look at it. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever. And anon they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her. And watch this phrase. And she ministered unto them. Look what Mark's doing. Sandwiched between two stories that portray the crowds enamored with only what they could get from Jesus is the story of a mother-in-law who is concerned about giving to Jesus in the same way she'd been given. Nobody in the idolizing crowd is mentioned even one time as ministering to Jesus, not even his own disciples. Everyone's out to get except one anonymous woman. In fact, the verb that Mark used to describe her service to the Lord in, in verse 31, that word ministered, is the same verb he used to describe the essence of Jesus's mission in Mark 10, 45, which is basically the center of the entire book of Mark. He says, for even the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. The same exact word Mark is telling us. The mother-in-law is the real disciple here. It's the anonymous woman. 
She's the one that is the real follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. She didn't get from Jesus and then try to get some more. No, no. She received healing from Jesus and immediately began to give as she had been given. Immediately began to serve as she had been served. Immediately began to minister as she had been ministered unto. And that's what we need today, church. Followers of Christ that understand his mission and serve him in the same fashion that he served others. We need followers of Christ who will make their lives about giving, not getting, about ministering, not being ministered to. I almost told you that we need more mother-in-laws. But I wouldn't wish that on anybody. I heard a story about a young office executive and went to his boss. He wanted a day off. (laughs) So he said, boss, I need a day off. Boss said, why do you need a day off? Well, I got to go. Visit my mother-in-law next week. The boss said, absolutely not. You're not getting a day off. The young executive replied, thank you, boss. I knew you'd be understanding. (laughs) A dog owner, he owned a St. Bernardi, took his dog into the vet. He said, doc, I need you to cut my dog's tail off. Cut your dog's tail off? I don't do that. That would be cruel. Why would I cut your dog's tail off? It wags too much. Well, that's a good thing. Your dog is welcoming. It's warm. It's, it's friendly. And he said, Doc, that's my problem. My mother-in-law's coming next week, and I don't want even one thing to make her feel welcome. I got one more. There's a mother-in-law that had three daughters. They were all married, so she had three son-in-laws. She wanted to put her son-in-laws to the test, so she, she took one of them running out of time. She took the first son-in-law out, went down the jogger's trail that she normally went, went by a river and purposely threw herself in the river's current. She wanted to see if the son-in-law loved her enough to save her. And he did. He saved her life. And so the next day, the son-in-law wakes up and there's a brand new Corvette in his driveway. Goes to the mailbox, there's a check for $10,000 and a note that says, thank you for saving my life. Love, your mother-in-law. She wanted to try out the second son-in-law. So she took him down the same joggers trail by the same river, threw herself in and he cared enough about her to go save her life just like the first son-in-law. And so the next day he wakes up, goes out in the drive, he has a brand new Corvette, goes to the mailbox, has a check for $10,000 and a note that says, thank you for saving my life. Love, your mother-in-law. The third son-in-law was put to the test the next day and took him out and same joggers trail, same river. She jumped in, but he didn't jump in after her. He let her die. Went on to his house. The next day he wakes up, goes in his driveways. There's two brand new Corvettes. Goes to the mailbox. There's a check for $20,000. There's a note that says, thank you for saving my life. Love, your father-in-law. If my mother-in-law is watching, I meant every word that I said. So I would by no means tell you to be a mother-in-law today, but I would challenge you to act a little bit like she acted. To follow God with the same motivation. To give and not to get. Here's the truth. Every one of us have been ministered to by Jesus Christ. And we are to, in return, minister to others with the same love. So let me ask you a question. What would that look like for you this week? If you lived your life to give this week, not to get. 
At home, what, what would it look like for you, young people? What would it look like for you to live your life at home to give to your parents and not to take? Parents, what would it look like for you to live your life to serve your children, not just to be served? Hey, spouse, husband, wife, how much good would it do your marriage this week if you lived to give and not to take from your spouse? How about at work, business owner, employer, employee? What about going into work tomorrow and saying, you know what? I'm going to live to give in this place, not to take. You might get a promotion pretty quick if you make a habit of that. How about at church? How about during offering time? Because we like to come to a church and be a consumer, but what about being a contributor? We like to spectate. What about every once in a while we get in and participate? What about towards fellow church members? Not just taking, but giving. What about in your ministry that you'll be involved in today? Not just taking, not just getting, but giving. I'm talking about following Jesus to give in every area of your life. At the park, at the restaurant, on the golf course. Maybe if you're playing good. Anywhere. What if following Jesus to give was the motto of your life this week? I bet you anything our church would make a dramatic difference for the kingdom. Yeah. John Wooden put it this way. He won won 10 championships. He said there's a wonderful, almost mystical law of nature that says three of the things we want most, happiness, freedom, and peace of mind, are always attained when we give them to others. Give it away to get it back. I love that. Give it away to get it back. As a very tangible challenge to the message today, I want to offer you this challenge that has pertained to this little card. They'll be located at the resource center right back there on the corners, four corners of the resource center. These are what we call random active liberal love cards. We uh, printed some of these. These are new ones. but We printed some of these about three years ago when we had this idea. In the front of of these cards, it says, you can't see it probably up there, but it says you are loved by God and Fellowship Baptist Church. And about three years ago, we gave the same challenge that I'm about to give you today. And that is just to take one of these cards and perform a random act of love, maybe even on a complete stranger. And then when you do that this week or the weeks leading up to Easter, because I'm going to tell you why it's going to be connected to Easter here in a moment. You're just going to hand that person this card or have somebody hand it to to them for you. On the flip side of this card, this is why we had them reprinted. There's an invitation to our Easter service on April the 4th. If you're wondering what the cross is for, and but those little papers up there on the cross, those are members of our church that have a co-worker written down or a family member working down or, or a friend uh, written down where, where they could tack it to the cross and we could pray for those folks to come to Easter Sunday. From now all the way into Easter, and I hope to get both sides of that cross field by the time April 4th comes along. This is another thing connected. The reason why we put Easter on the back side of this is because like Jesus, we don't want our benevolence to be the end. Our benevolence... Yes, we want to love people, but we also want that to lead to somebody having their spiritual needs met. And so as you seek to meet the physical needs of somebody through just honest, sincere love, then somebody's going to get this, turn it around, and that could be their invitation to have every one of their spiritual needs met when the gospel is preached on April the 4th. I'm going to ask you to get creative all the way from now 
until Easter Sunday. Don't go take 10 of these. Just take one or two at a time. Come back for some more when you need to. And find ways to randomly love people to Jesus from now until Easter. It's amazing how creative our church folks have gotten with this. Some of them have, have went through a fast food drive through and have paid for the person behind them that they didn't even know and asked the cashier to give that to the person behind them. Other people, you'll hear in a video, have had a garage sale and everything was free. Instead of giving away a receipt, they gave away a liberal love card. Some people have bought the groceries of the person behind them. Some people have left $5 in the little uh, bank tube holder thing, whatever they call those, for the next person that came behind them and it was, there was, a, it was paper clipped to this card. And so our people have gotten so creative about it. And in order to inspire you and kind of provoke make maybe creativity for you over the course of the next three or four weeks, I want you to watch a video. A video that tells the stories of some of our folks that got very creative a couple of years ago when we put forth this challenge. It is a couple years old, this video is. It's about eight or nine minutes, so it's not even real short, but it's incredibly inspiring. And I think it will motivate us all to get involved in this challenge and follow our Savior to give and not to get. Enjoy this. God opens an opportunity for you, man. You take it right then because sometimes opportunity doesn't always knock, but when it does, you need to be ready to give an answer. And I felt like that was the time to answer because she was really needing something or someone to help her. And God opened that door for us to be a blessing and we just took it that time. And we thank God for it. It sounds very cliche, but it really is better to give than to receive. To give somebody something, to show them love, and then to hope that someday maybe they will come to church or maybe they will remember that the crazy people gave us all their stuff away. I mean, I don't know. You don't know what will come from that. Pastor issued the liberal love challenge. We had wanted to have a garage sale, advertise it in the paper, but then when people got to our house and came up to pay for the items, instead of us taking their money to, that we wanted to give them a liberal love card and invite them to church and tell them all the items were free. So through the year, we just made a pile of garage sale stuff and picked a date to have the sale. We paid our $12 for advertising in the paper and waited on a Saturday morning in November. Our very first customer was a Hispanic man out for a walk. And he came up and brought a pair of my husband's boots to me and asked me how much they were. A lady came into the Optical 2020 where I work. Her daughter broke her glasses in half. She had just replaced them a week earlier. I told her it would be $100. After talking to my boss, I told her we would replace the frame for $20. I could tell she had had a terrible day. She was so thankful it was only going to be $20. It was then I knew God wanted me to show liberal love. Jim and I were sitting at the kitchen having dinner when there was a number that called on Jim's phone that we neither one recognized, so we did not answer it. But when the number called again, Jim answered and politely told them that they had the wrong number. 
When they called a third time, I told Jim that maybe we should talk to the person and find out if maybe we could help them with something since apparently they needed whomever they were trying to call. This past spring, the Fellowship Baptist School Group 1 sewing class decided they wanted to do a liberal love project. We talked about receiving blankets or possibly hot pads or kitchen towels. The girls wanted to do the blankets, but none of them had a reason to make the receiving blankets. After my suggestion to make the receiving blankets as a liberal love project, the girls decided they wanted to make receiving blankets to give to Birthline, a pregnancy testing center here in Liberal. The girls were able to make 12 receiving blankets. The girls mixed and matched the materials, sewed the blankets, and then wrapped the liberal love card in each blanket. When it was time to give the receiving blankets away, we called Birthline to see if they would be able to accept our projects or if there were guidelines that needed to be met. I was in the liberal Walmart shopping for a cell phone case one Friday afternoon. The Walmart employee who helped me was very nice and we started talking about the pros and cons of each cell phone case, etc. My kids were with me and she took notice of them. And then, for no apparent reason, she began to tell me about her one-year-old son, whom had died recently due to complications of heart surgery. She was broken, and her story was touching as she showed me a photo of her son. I told her I was sorry for her loss, checked out with my cell phone case, and went on my way. Later that day, the realization hit me like a ton of bricks that this was a divine appointment from the Lord. I had completely missed it. In my rush of shopping, busyness of wrangling the kids, or whatever other excuse I can come up with, I missed the appointment the Lord had clearly given me. I repented and asked the Lord to give me a second chance to make it right. So I prepared a card and enclosed a liberal love card and a Walmart gift card with it. In the card I wrote that I had been thinking about her all week and praying for her. I told her that I was very sorry for her pain and the loss of her son. And although I couldn't make the pain go away, I know Jesus is the one who can. Then I invited her to church. I have not seen her at church yet. I am hoping she will come. In any case, I pray that she knows she is loved and maybe one of these days she will come to church. Maybe I planted a seed even if I don't get to see the harvest. He didn't speak English very well and I don't speak Spanish at all, but somehow I communicated that everything was free today. I gave him a liberal love card and he said, I go get money. I said, no, it's all free. It's for you. Take what you want. So he went and got a few of Mike's shirts and he said this, and I just kept repeating it. So he took a few shirts that we had and a suitcase and he says this. <laughs> so he loaded up the boots and shirts in the suitcase and started wheeling it down the sidewalk. He was practically was running. I'm sure he thought there must be some mistake. So I called her back and started the process just first explaining that she had the wrong number then asking her who she was trying to reach and if there was something we could help her with. She just kept apologizing and then I finally was able to get her to tell me that she was that she cleaned buildings and she left her phone at the last location and couldn't remember her boyfriend's number to call to see if, if he could come get her. Jim and I went together and met this lady at the location she was at and she was still so shocked that we would do this and was a little emotional at the kindness we were showing her. We explained to her about the liberal love theme at our church and that we were looking for ways we could show someone some liberal love and this seemed to be a perfect door that the Lord opened for us. We also told her that we would love her to visit our church if she was looking for a church home. We dropped her off and thanked the Lord for sending her our way and letting us be a blessing to her by showing her some liberal love 
and ask God to help this young lady get back on the right path and be the godly example that her kids needed. I went and got a $20 bill and a liberal love card, and I told her I wanted to take care of the $20. She started to cry and could not talk for a moment. She couldn't believe I would take care of that for her, and I didn't even know her. She thanked me, then started to leave, and then came back and gave me a hug. No one had ever done something like this for her before, she told me. When we explained that we had receiving blankets made by the girls, the director was so excited and asked if we could bring them right away because they had given their last receiving blanket away just a few days before. The director of Birthline said she would gladly take all we had to offer. It was neat to see the reaction of not only the director of Birthline, but also the reaction of the girls when they realized just how appreciated their liberal love project was. The girls thought it was fun to give something they had made, and there was excitement in giving it because they may never know who received one of their blankets. They have already asked if we're going to do a liberal love project again this year. I don't know how much of a difference I made in her life, but I knew, do know by doing what God wanted me to do and showing someone love, it made a difference in my heart and my life. Every time I show liberal love, it becomes more part of my life and who I am. I am so thankful for the tools that we're given at Fellowship, such as the liberal love cards, that make it easier for us to reach out to our community. I will continue to use them and try to make a difference. I may never know the impact, but God does. We were blessed beyond measure, and the little bit we have made, if we would have charged people, paled in comparison to the blessings it was for us to give. But at 6 o'clock that morning, it was cloudy, it was kind of chilly, and I probably got up a little bit grumpy and and got the stuff out there. And uh, But yeah, when you seen that first guy, and uh, I don't know, he just could not get over the fact that it was free. It was a blessing to me to be an encouragement to somebody else that God was using me. And um, I was just thankful that God opened our hearts that even just the simplest wrong number could turn out to be an encouragement to somebody who was really down and depressed. And um, I encourage others to look at the smallest things, whether it's a misplaced uh, phone call or whatever, you know, somebody in, uh, in a store. It's not only an encouragement to them, but it also is an encouragement to you as well. I guess I would just encourage you to keep trying because I think it gets easier the more you do it. It seems like a small thing, I think, to us, but it can make a huge impact and we just don't know. You know what I love about these cards is that anybody can do this. Anybody. Some people think, man, I could never tell somebody about Jesus because i got to know this book inside and out. I don't know how to answer questions. and You know how to give. You can, you can love on somebody. You don't, have to have the, you don't have to know the Bible by memory to give this card. Hey, you, can, you can give a ride to somebody. It doesn't have to cost money. You can just give a ride to somebody. Give them a card. Do yard work for somebody. Give them a card. And let's be the hands and feet of Jesus. And let's, let's follow him to give and not to get. Would you stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye closed?